everybody. Welcome to uh, this episode of Highly Unlikely with Josh and Janae. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you guys are here. Janae is not here. She was not, not able to make this one. So, um, but these guys are quality, even though I will be lesser quality when <laughs> Janae is not in the room. So, um, but why don't you guys introduce yourselves and introduce your family? Tell us who you are. Yeah, I'm Steph. I'm the wife to Micah MacDonald, also known as Micah Mac. And we have two kids, Everly and Malachi. Everly is six and Malachi is four. And they'll be turning the next years up in less than two weeks from the podcast that we're recording now. So that's them. And who are you? (laughs) The Micah Mac? Uh, No, I am the husband to Stephanie Joy. Uh, We met at North Central University in downtown Minneapolis. And we celebrated 11 years of marriage, and uh, we reside in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, I'm a Minnesota native, and Steph is a small-town Wisconsin girl. Woo-woo. And so she Go grew- pack, go. Yep. What's yep. the small town? Give a shout-out. I mean, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. All right. I went to school in Kadat, which is very small, but yes, Chippewa Falls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love the small towns. I'm from I small too. towns. So you got to shout them out whenever you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have a tradition. We draw from the dish to break the ice. So uh, what people don't know is we break the ice before we ever turn the microphones on. But for the sake of the podcast, uh, we're going to break the ice. And so um, what is your favorite holiday tradition? Oh, man. I will go first. I usually don't go first. I told you guys I never go first. You go first. But we make monkey bread on Christmas morning. And it's just like we don't usually chow down on monkey bread, but... That's the first one that comes to mind because like everybody looks forward to it. It smells great. Yes. It smells like That's Christmas. Awesome. With, yes. with a hot cup of coffee. Yeah. Steph, yeah. What you don't know about Steph is Steph is a really big sweet person. She has a massive sweet <gasps> tooth. Yeah. But here's the deal. If she's going to have something sweet, she has to have a cup of warm black, coffee. Black, coffee, black hot coffee yeah. to go with the sweet. A little yep. bit of the bitter, black coffee, bit of that bitter accents with the sweet. I would say, can I say my favorite tradition? And then if there's one different, can you say that? Yes. Okay. My favorite tradition I look forward to this every year. Um, for those who don't know on the podcast, we travel full-time. I travel full-time as an evangelist around the U.S. And I take time off in August and December, uh, which is obviously around Christmas time. And one of my favorite traditions that we've been doing recently the last couple of years is um, we try to each day drop off a gift um, at someone's house with our kids. Um, and we want our kids to know that it's better to give than it is to receive. And um, we think our kids are spoiled. (laughs) And I say that because every time we go to new places, guess what our kids are always getting? Always getting little gifts from the pastor, from people in the church. They're always getting gifts. And we want our kids to know it's way more fun to give. So we do that. Um, We try to each day go to a different house, knock on the door, Um, They're usually friends or people that God puts on our heart Mm -hmm. that we'll write down. And then we'll go bring them a blanket, a bag of coffee, and a card. And we teach our kids when they knock on the door and they open it, we we say, we want you to say, uh, Merry Christmas, and we love you, and we see you. Yeah, And we teach them to say that. And so our kids, when we go around the dinner table sometimes, and we ask our kids, so what, what do you like about mom? They'll, they'll say, Mom, I love you, and we see you. <laughs> yep, it's true. It's true. And so true. you do this like every day of December? Or we like try to. Sometimes, or? sometimes if like we can't get to it in a day, we'll like couple several people together on one day. But we yeah. do try to do at least 25 people. Oh, I so from love December that, 1 guys. to December 25. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah. 
we've kind of, anyway. It gets us out of the house. Yeah. Go get to look at Christmas lights too. We love that. Yeah. And, the Christmas and people season. don't just drop in on each other anymore. I know. Like, no, that's that's a true. cool thing to do. They don't. Right. I know. Like Josh, when we were kids, that was the thing. Yep. Like people just came at, yes. showed up at her house and yep. we that's hung true. out. We'd make room for them at the dinner table yeah. or. Yeah. Yeah. We, we we want some of those old fashioned traditions to, yeah. to stick with yeah. our kids yeah. during that that season. That's so cool. Yeah. So. I'll double down on that. That was what I was going to talk about. But also we couple that with the gift of togetherness. There's someone that I follow on social media that a couple years back she just challenged, like rather than centering the whole Christmas season around gifts and the things that you get, also just value the quality time together as a family. So we try to couple that with like strategically, hey, we're gonna focus on trying to do something together. And it could be as simple as we're getting in the car to go look at Christmas lights, mm-hmm. like Micah said, or like we're going to decorate Christmas cookies or we're going to go pick out Christmas cards for grandma and grandpa together. Or just like that intentional piece of bringing that together, you know, along with that, we've tried to do some sort of Advent teaching, but that I don't think we've successfully gotten <laughs> through the whole Advent teaching <laughs> and calendar at all, but um, we do our best. So Christmas yeah. is definitely my favorite season and holiday of the whole year, but that was what I exactly what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. So. You guys, I went to Costco today and I saw like Christmas ribbons. No way. <gasps> yeah, no. it's August. It's I August know, though. I know. But oh, wow. How many they days are we till Christmas? Suckers. I know. I know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I don't know how many days, but <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's Less a few holidays to go, like, yeah, yeah. a few things to do. But <laughs> yeah. you turn that July corner and it's like right. it's I, coming. Right. You know, it's true. Yeah. The season is on its way. So it's true. I know you guys like have both served in the church, you know, in really influential ways in worship and with youth and. Um, just tell everybody your background, kind of where you came from. And then I really want to talk about where you've been in this last season of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, well, I grew up uh, in a Christian family my whole life, which was just a gift. I know that. I don't take that for granted. Um, my parents were always involved with music. And so music was just always in our home. <laughs> and my mom and dad were engaged in worship teams. And in, when I entered into kind of junior high, my youth pastor approached me because the, the worship leader in our youth group was graduating out of high school and we needed a someone to take her place. And so he approached me and I was just totally floored like that he would ask me to do that. And that was always, music was always a passion of mine just because it was modeled in my home. And so I was kind of the, I became the youth worship leader all throughout high school and then went to college for uh, worship music. I majored in music pastor at North Central. And so literally I've been leading worship on the weekly basis, if not multiple times a week um, since I was in high school. Mm. Um, even late junior high. So for like the last 30 years you've been leading, right? Well, I'm not that old. I'm not that old. Not yet. Not yet. Um, But it's like a huge way of how I um, engage with people and engage with God was Mm -hmm. through um, worship music. And so um, I was, I went from, actually when I was in college, I got to be on staff at a church, our home church, Cedar Valley, which is where Micah grew up going and became a youth pastor shortly after I did and served as the youth worship leader as well as kids and then kind of an associate worship leader there as well. And then from there, which we'll talk about transition, I think they're pretty soon here on the podcast, uh, but stepped down from there and then actually became like the worship director at a different church, which is locally and it's most recently known as Zoe Church. And so I was on staff until just this past February uh, where I served as the worship director there and learned a lot. Along along the way, still love it, still a heartbeat, but just recently transitioned because it was the needs of our family for me mm-hmm. to just be home more. So still have a heartbeat for worship, but it's been now I've been navigating what does it look like to engage with other people and to engage with God when worship isn't as active in my life, but mm-hmm. it's still a beautiful journey and I still love music. So Yeah. 
I love one thing you said that I want to highlight. I mean, all of what you said was great, but there's one thing that stood <laughs> out, which was that somebody asked you to lead worship yeah. and you're like, wow. Like yeah. I saw somebody, uh, a pastor post on social media that we don't recruit volunteers. We discover people. Mm. I, it was something like that, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. and just realizing like, oh man, everybody has somewhere where they can serve or be yeah. involved. And it's true. It's mm-hmm. the, our job, you know, and who to knows people. how that will project them onto their yeah, future what they're gonna and become. what God's going to do. Yeah, yeah right. Mm-hmm. So Super that's cool. really, really cool that somebody saw that in you yeah. and called it out. Yeah. I know I'm biased, but Steph has a real gifting and anointing for um, just restorative worship, um, altar ministry. Um, just uh, I know her heart is one of just giving praise to God. Um, it's actually shaped me as a leader. <clears throat> I love worship songs that emphasize praise to him, mm-hmm. worship to him. Worship culture um, comes in waves. It goes in different shapes over the years. And, you know, there can be this propensity of of even me, how I'm feeling in mm-hmm. our worship. And I just love Steph's heart of like, no, worship unto God. Let's mm-hmm. give him praise. Let's mm-hmm. lift up his name. And um, I don't know, that's shaped me even as a traveling minister. Um, I... Uh, I am a product of the local church. Um, uh, I come from a broken family, a broken home, and it was the youth group. It was the local church that uh, took me under my wing. I graduated from high school, not sure what I wanted to do. I just knew I loved Jesus, and I love people. I love serving. So I, I served as a youth leader and then um, ended up serving as a youth intern, and then I felt called to maybe go on the mission field. And before, uh, before I went on the mission field, um, I needed to quit my job. And my mom said, don't quit your job. And that was a whole ordeal. And then I got a phone call from my lead pastor. And he said, hey, we see a call of God on your life. We want to pay for all of your college. Hmm. Where do you want to go to school? And I was blown away. I was like, you want to pay for all of my school? And I want to go into missions. But like, God, you're opening this door for school. What's going on? And I ended up at North Central University that fall. And he said, when you graduate from school, we'll help you go wherever you feel like God's calling you to go. And I remember God, uh, in a personal moment, just journaling, felt like God just say, stay at church, serve. When you graduate, don't go anywhere else, just serve. And uh, they're going to ask you to be hired. And so I wrote that in my journal. I'm like, well, we'll see if this is God. So For about a year and a half after college, I still served as an intern. I remember my lead pastor after college saying, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I said, pastor, I said, I feel called to serve right here and I'm going to work my jobs for income, but I'm going to serve. And uh, pastor said, okay, sounds good. And uh, I had opportunities. I had other pastors call for me to come be their youth pastor, but I just knew stay and serve. So I served. And then um, the week of our wedding, the week of our wedding, my lead pastor took me out to Culver's and said, hey, uh, we want to offer you a full-time position to come join our youth team. We've watched you over the years. And um, I ended up being there for five to six years as the lead youth pastor. And then uh, we felt a nudge of God telling us to take a step of faith and go and um, be on the road full-time traveling as an evangelist. However, my lead pastor, uh, he heard me preach one Sunday morning, uh, the first Sunday morning he ever let me preach. Which, by the way, if you're listening and you're a young leader and your lead pastor asks you to preach a Sunday morning. Don't you, screw it up. No, no you, I'm telling you, you are literally staying up all night Saturday night and you're sweating. Oh, yeah. You yeah. can't sleep. 
And then you get in the pulpit and you feel the weight that your lead pastor carries every single week. Mm. But I remember after I got done preaching, he came into my office on Monday, very next day. And he said, um, if anyone ever asks you to preach outside of our church, say yes. And I'm like, are you firing me? <laughs> Do you not want me to be your youth pastor anymore? Did I blow it? He goes, no, you hit a home run and just say yes if anyone asks. Mm. I said, well, what about youth? You hired me to do youth. He goes, we'll take care of youth. You just say yes. And for the next three years uh, youth pastoring there, I said yes to any wow. opportunity, wow. whether it was an FCA group yeah. with 10 kids in the room or whatever. And I realize now what I didn't know back then was my lead pastor saw a gift yep. mm -hmm. for preaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he saw me one day outside traveling and preaching. I, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I just love the church. I love Jesus. I love people. It's very simple to me. Uh, and so I started saying yes. So as a yeah. youth pastor, I started traveling more and more and more and more. And um, then it came to a point in time where it was like, okay, God was saying go. So that meant leaving uh, full-time salary, benefits, and going down to zero dollars. Wow. Zero dollars guaranteed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We knew we had to work. Yeah, so I picked up a moving job at a moving company, and then um, and then did that for about six months to nine months, and uh, and just ever since then been traveling. It's been six years now hmm. uh, that we've been traveling seven. full time. Coming up on seven. seven, I think it's coming up on seven. Um, that we've been seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen. So you guys had yeah. a baby right around. Oh yeah, yeah. This oh, oh yeah, yeah. Too, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mortgage, so we baby. had just had a baby in twenty sixteen. I sat down for my job. Palm Sunday was my last Sunday in 2017. And then Micah was done in that following September. So we had a one-year-old. Yeah. Yep. So we went from having, yep. yeah. I love that because I, I was just listening to something today that talked about how, whether we realize it or not, we are so bred in our society to protect our comfort. Mm. And, and at all costs, whether we even realize it or not, like we mm -hmm. are, I think about conversations like our family was even having this week. And it's mm. like, part of it is just like, how do we get more comfortable? Yeah. You know? And yeah. to step out like that, yeah. it seems so like <laughs> nobody does that anymore, yeah, yeah. you know, especially for the Lord yeah, and yeah. believing that he's yeah. going to yeah. provide for them. And, yeah. and we, the th some, some of the learning things, did you want to say? Go first? ahead, go ahead. Some of the things I learned is um, one is following Jesus and the promptings of the Holy Spirit is one of the most beautiful journeys you can like ever go on. Like, it's it's powerful. You don't know the outcome, but when you say yes and you're willing to lay down comfort, or you're willing to lay down what 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 your plan is for His plan, mm -hmm. it is unbelievable. Um, mm -hmm. I think the reason why I'm so emotional is I'm just finishing up my sixth or seventh summer of travel ministry to 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 teenagers and. The things I have gotten to see just in this one summer alone of like life transformation, it like culminates, it like grows. It doesn't, it doesn't dwindle. It grows as you travel and preach. You see faces, you see stories, you see things that like are part of the book of Acts. Like you, you see these things and it can be easy to take it for granted. But when you actually stop and just think about mm -hmm. what God has graced us to see, it is unbelievable mm. um mm -hmm. and then it's you it's like unique because we don't we don't like travel and like market our ministry and like we don't call lead pastors and are like hey can we come speak or we don't do that 
we, we just pray and we fast mm-hmm. and we ask God to open every door of opportunity for mm-hmm. our ministry. So in the last six years, mm-hmm. I haven't called one person saying, hey, can you please let me speak at that? And it's been cool because wherever we go and minister, we know God brought us there. Mm-hmm. And so when we step into minister, we know it's like this, God's going to show up. Mm-hmm. God's going to do this. And um, it's been really beautiful. It's been really cool to see. And uh, just, I'll give you the, a scope, a picture of how wild this is. But like in March this last year, I'm speaking in a room full of like ten to 11,000 people in one room. The stage is in the center of the room and everyone is around me in a circle. And that was awesome. Like all, it, it was a core memory. I have it lodged forever. But two days later, I ended up traveling to Missouri to go speak at a small church, a local youth group. And this high school girl sent me an Instagram DM saying, would you come speak at my public school? Um, I'm, we're looking for a speaker for this. And I'm like, you need to let your youth pastor reach out to me because I don't know who you are. So her mm-hmm. youth pastor reached out saying she's legit. Um, well, the public school couldn't do it. But she invited like 40 of her high school friends to show up to her local youth group. So 42 kids were in the room. Like 20 kids gave their life to Jesus that night. And that is the scope. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Like, like numbers don't matter to us. People matter. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just as honoring to go to that room of small youth group, local church youth group room of 42 kids as it was the room with 10,000 kids, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think <clears throat> that's what's unique, but also amazing about getting to do what we get to do. Um, and so the next leg for, for us is going to be who we raise up. Hmm. It's no longer where we're preaching. It's no longer where we're getting invited. It's still fun to be asked, but I can't wait to raise up more. God gave us pastors, apostles, teachers, evangelists, prophets to do the work of the ministry. So let's keep raising up the office of the evangelist. Let's keep teaching high school kids, college kids, and even even the 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 me's, the youth pastors who are sitting there saying, I feel like God might be calling me to mm-hmm. this. So we have a passion of doing it the right way. We have a passion of honoring the church, honoring whoever's bringing us in. And then we have a passion to see others do it the same way because mm-hmm. someone trained us and taught us how to do it. So let me back up a second. What went, I have so many questions. <laughs> Define evangelist for people because mm-hmm. today they hear pastor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. maybe sure. some other titles, but like it's yeah. primarily pastor. So define evangelist. Evangelist mm-hmm. is someone who has a passion to reach the lost and help others equip uh, the lost. I'm getting emotional again, but like the evangelist is the is the is the guy or woman who is constantly thinking about the kid that hasn't given their life to Jesus yet. Mm-hmm. They're consumed with the person that hasn't surrendered mm-hmm. their life to Christ. They they're motivated that they're compelled. Mm-hmm. That. They mm-hmm. wake up in the morning and their why is lost people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're burdened with that. Pastors wake up in the morning and their burden is their sheep, mm-hmm. the people that are in their church, the marriages that are struggling, the people mm-hmm. that they get to shepherd and pastor. The evangelist comes alongside the pastor and helps equip the sheep to carry the same passion for lost people. Mm-hmm. It all works in tandem together. It all comes along into something really beautiful. So when we can honor the evangelist in our local churches, what we're doing is we're honoring the heart of Jesus for lost people, yeah. mm-hmm. why Jesus came. And so, like, to give you an example, it's Thursday night of camp. Every camp, my heart is wrecked over kids that 
might have been in the back the whole time. And then I watched those kids all week that I've just been doing whatever, and I watched them walk to the front. Mm -hmm. That's the heart of an evangelist. Yeah. The heart of the evangelist bleeds until he sees all saved. Mm -hmm. That's the heart of Christ. Christ said, mm -hmm. my will is not, none would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. Yeah. Yeah. And so the evangelist just burns with that. The evangelist right. is consumed with that. Right. But the evangelist can't be a lone wolf. The evangelist can't be a superstar. The evangelist has to find him or herself within the confines of the local church, mm -hmm. including with all the other offices that God right. gave. So that's why it's important <laughs> for the evangelist to be in the local church, serving the local church, and then helping others to be yeah. equipped to carry that same passion, that same yeah. heartbeat that, that Jesus had. And it should be able to add, not mm -hmm. subtract to the church. I'm very passionate about whenever, yeah, that there's there's a lot of evidence. I'm very passionate about seeing um, the evangelist restored once again to the mm -hmm. church. Why do you think it went away? Uh, uh, a couple of reasons. One was uh, methods and models of the church. So Josh, when we were kids, we did Sunday night services, and then we would do often Monday night revivals, Tuesday night revivals, Wednesday night revivals. Mm -hmm. The evangelist would leave Thursday, and then sometimes we do weekend things. My point is the church models back then made a way for the evangelist to be front and center quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and now it's all of our eggs are on Sunday morning. It's just a shift. It's mm -hmm. just a shift that we've seen. So that's why you don't see many today. That's why you don't see many doing it today. Um, also, it's not financially feasible for evangelists anymore. Talked to one guy who trained me and just said, uh, I traveled every weekend and we emptied our savings as a family. And that was me gone every weekend. Mm -hmm. So it's not financially feasible. The methods of the overall church has somewhat shifted. Mm -hmm. um, and also I've heard of really bad experiences yeah. with evangelists that have hurt anybody wanting to bring anyone else in. Yeah. And my heart is, is man, I pray when we come minister in a church that lead pastors are saying, like that, that's, this is one praise report. A lead pastor said, I close my doors to any outside speaker because of a bad experience I had. Mm. He said, you literally opened my mind to bringing someone else again in the future. Mm. He goes, thank you. Yeah, That is a win. Because yeah. now a lead pastor is saying, he, he did it. Essentially he's saying, you did it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have a passion to do the same because hopefully if there's a, if, if, if me or other evangelists like me can do a great job in serving the local church, then it creates opportunities for other Mm -hmm. evangelist to come in and do the same, hopefully. So yeah. I'm going to state the obvious. An evangelist's heart doesn't start with a microphone, though, either, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I think back to um, before Micah was even a youth pastor. There's many stories. Micah, I would say, houses the office of an evangelist. I would say probably I have a different office. I support him as a being married to him. But countless stories. We don't need to go into them. I don't need to, like, toot his own horn. But um, just of his heart breaking for lost people. And so it, did, it didn't start with like, hey, I have the microphone now and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. No, he was like, there's a story. It's okay. Hopefully it's okay. I'm sharing. He went into a bar because um, he had some buddies that used to work at Best Buy with him. And he knew they were all at the bars. And he went in and like, just felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go share the gospel with these mm -hmm. guys. We're at the bar and uh, there's testimonies of guys just coming up to him and saying, that's exactly what I needed to hear tonight. And um, that was before we ever had like a platform or yeah. a microphone, you know? And so mm -hmm. I think that's just so evident, right? We need evangelists that are sitting in the pews too, that are Correct. being evangelists to their communities. That, and, that is a good distinction. So. Evangelists don't always have microphones. Mm -hmm. Evangelists are, are- Just like not all yeah. prophets or whatever have microphones, yeah, right? right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I think, I think pastors who have become evangelists are some of the best evangelists because yeah. they get both sides. Mm -hmm. Right. 
You know, mm-hmm. like they know when they come into a church, how what they do affects what happens there after they leave, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that's actually a huge asset, you know, mm-hmm. to your ministry. Cause that, and it, for somebody like me, I'm like, oh, I trust you. Like you've pastored people, you know, mm-hmm. you know what's in this, you know what mm-hmm. it takes. But mm-hmm. I can tell from your social media, you know, from mm-hmm. your, like that, that's what burns in you, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And it's like your pastor saw your, preaching gift, which is maybe mm-hmm. your talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you have this passion and it's like, where those two things that are like cross yeah. each mm-hmm. other, your passion and your talent, that whatever you do with your life, do that, yeah. right. you know, either right. on the side or <laughs> right. like in yeah, your, yeah. At, yeah, late yeah. at night after your nine to five, yeah, like, yeah. and you'll find fulfillment for sure. You know, mm-hmm. and sure. I think that is so key to jumping off the cliff of like, mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to leave behind this job and this salary mm-hmm. and all these things. And just, Mm-hmm. Go for it, and then yeah. God blesses it because it's right in the lane He mm-hmm. created you for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really really cool. Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk. This whole um, season of Highland Likely is about relationships, and so mm-hmm. I'd love to just hear a little bit of and have you represent a generation to the church mm-hmm. in some ways of like, um, what is the relationship with the next generation, specifically students and what they're walking through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and how can the church see students differently or really understand where they're coming from? And so I heard of Chris Hodge's message a while back and he mm-hmm. talked about like they surveyed their whole youth group mm-hmm. and it really changed kind of the nature of like how the church viewed students. Like, mm-hmm. oh, they want you to leave them alone. They don't want you in their business, whatever. And it was like, no, they're actually crying out mm-hmm. for adults and mm-hmm. spiritual leaders in their lives to care enough to get in their business mm-hmm. and to correct them even when it's hard because it's mm-hmm. what, they actually find safety in. Mm-hmm. And so I would just love, you know, if you could riff a little bit on just um, what what have you seen through what, eight weeks of summer camps mm-hmm. this summer and just, mm-hmm. being, just being on the road nonstop, what are you seeing? Mm-hmm. Um, so sound the alarm, yeah, yeah. but even more like yeah, just yeah. Yeah, yeah. what's exciting, <clears throat> you know? I, I, I would say um, previous generations, uh, there have always been somewhat of a natural disconnect with the coming generations. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was a child, I'm sure there were previous generations before me who saw discrepancies, who saw things they didn't like when you and I were children. Mm-hmm. I think there's kind of been that there for a while. I don't think it's necessarily new. For sure, yeah. Um, however, the new challenges we're facing with the next generation right now is the digital complexities, mm-hmm. um, complexities that are here. Um, and what is that doing to an overall generation? Mm-hmm. How is that shaping them? Um, that is that is one avenue. That's one aspect. Um, the next generation, uh, I, and like I said, I'm sure our grandparents and our parents said the same thing about our generation. And this is what I'm about to say. I can't believe all the pressures they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I'm sure our previous generation said that about us. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they have to go through this. They have this, they have this. And now here we are saying, I can't believe the amount of pressures this next generation has. Um, when society is communicating a message to be whoever you want to mm-hmm. be, mm-hmm. that is a costly, costly message because humanity was created for boundaries. Humanity was created for order. And when you say words or phrases like be whoever you want to be, you are stripping 
all boundaries away whatsoever. I find it really interesting that the first thing God ever did when he created Mm -hmm. is he established order out of chaos. Mm -hmm. And he put boundaries and put things in the rightful places. Um, God was creating a design that was meant to be carried through and carried out. uh, And he said... He didn't leave us to try to figure out like other ancient Near Eastern gods. That was the discrepancies was all these other cultures back then when the Bible was written, the people had to figure out what pleased their gods. Yahweh, when he designed and he created, didn't leave us aimless, hopeless, and trying to figure out what pleases mm-hmm. him. Hmm. He told us. Right. He gave us his word. He gave us the law. He went above and beyond to describe his character, his heart, what was in play, what was out of bounds, what was appropriate, what was inappropriate, mm-hmm. uh, what separated us from him. He mm-hmm. told us all of it. And that that wasn't because he was legalistic or or very this high and mighty judge. He did this because he loves us. Mm-hmm. Like think about it, Josh. You and I, when we when 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 we're raising our children, we tell them, "Hey, the the street is off limits. You're not allowed to play in the road." Yeah, yeah. And 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 we will discipline if you go on the road again, do it again. And the reason why we do that is because we love our children. And so right now, what's missing is those boundaries and those borders that help protect mm-hmm. our children. And right now, the West and the society we're living in is trying to strip away all of that. And so you take away those boundaries and you take away those natural designs, the natural orders, the natural way of God doing things. And now you tell a child whose brain isn't formally developed, it's not fully developed, and a child thrives because of structure. A child Mm -hmm. can thrive because of order. A child can thrive because a mom and dad sits them down and says, we're not going to do that. And um, it just breaks my heart because what this generation is facing now is this is, in in my opinion, this is unprecedented. We've never seen this before. And here's what I mean is now our generation that's coming behind us, that's growing up, can literally believe a false identity about them and then have it reinforced within 10 seconds. Because all they need to do is go on YouTube, go on TikTok and go on these different channels And now they immediately found a community and a group Mm -hmm. that identifies with them. Mm -hmm. So now it's reinforced. So everything gets accelerated. Um, There was an article recently that was released. Uh, uh, I believe it was New York Times. It was a big big column. And it talked about how TikTok intentionally um, went after minors, uh, teenagers, middle schoolers with image, um, eating disorders, suicide, and some other thing. Like they intentionally showed them things that would fill their algorithms and essentially get to them. My point is, is what's unprecedented about what we're facing in this generation is what they're getting access to in the age that they're getting access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's unprecedented. Uh, the hope of the world and the hope of of this coming generation is the pure, unfiltered gospel. Jesus. Uh, I, I, I'm not kidding. I, in the last couple of years, especially since COVID, when COVID hit, I am watching hundreds, thousands of teenagers run from their seats, unashamed, run for their seats to go after Jesus. It's like, it's like water that hits dry ground. Mm-hmm. It's like everything else has been chaos. Everything else has been weird. But this... This is it. And that's what gives me so much hope among the next generation Mm. is the gospel. Mm -hmm. What's it going to take? It's going to take mom and dad who live it out. Notice how I didn't say it's going to take Pastor Josh preaching better. It's going to take our youth pastors being better. It's going to take mom and dad 
who really have a desire to live this thing out. Mm. And I would just say this to all the parents listening. Um, you weren't called to be the greatest sociologist and greatest psychologist of all time to help your children. Um, you don't need to become an expert in everything that's out there. But I will say this, your kids will watch you love Jesus and that will compel them to mm. love Jesus too. Yeah. Your kids will watch your desire to want to go to the local church on Sunday morning, and one day they'll want to go to the local church too. Your kids will watch you cry out to Jesus when you don't know where to turn, and your kids will know how to cry out to Jesus. Your kids will watch you speak life, and they'll want to speak life. They catch what they watch us doing. And so um, for me, my family structure fell apart. So where did I watch that happen? I watched it in the local church. I had spiritual mm. fathers who invited me over yeah. for family dinners and showed me what it looked like for a dad to love his wife or for a husband to love his wife. I had people in the church provide for me to go to camps, to go to mission trips. The local church helped disciple me where I was lacking in my own earthly home. And so I would say to any Christian listening to this, you are parenting more than your own children, but you mm. are a resource and a light to other kids that might be your friends of your kids. They might come over, might be in your house. And so... I would say the solution is still the gospel. It will never stop being the gospel. The solution is still the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and praying that way for our kids. The solution is building our families on the word of God and what the word of God says. And um, yeah, God's doing incredible things in the earth. Uh, you can't just look at America and base how God is doing mm -hmm. in contrast to one country. You've got to look at what God's doing globally. You have to keep a global perspective, and you have to. Ha you also have to have a great. Uh, you also have to have a great eschatology, meaning God's coming again. There's so much hope. Uh, he's not lost in this. He's not absent in this. Um, but I will say, now is the time to double down on our faith. Now is mm -hmm. the time to get serious about following Jesus. Uh, these kids need models. Mm -hmm. So I intentionally use my social media in a way that wants to communicate really hard things yeah. that not a lot of people want to talk about because I know there's kids who are fatherless who are following yeah. me. I know there's kids who don't have pastors in their life. Mm -hmm. And if I could just be an example, if I just be an example through social media, through life, through preaching, then I want to do it. But we need more. We need more examples. And that comes from us playing our part in the kingdom of God and doing what he's asked us to do. And so— um, yeah, but I will say this in terms of altar ministry, this is really beautiful. Uh, in terms of what I'm seeing in kids responding to the gospel there, I'm watching, I'm watching Jesus meet this generation where they're at. Mm -hmm. So they're really anxiety filled, right? Well, in the altars, I'm watching some of the most peaceful peaceful altar times I've mm. ever seen. Yeah. Uh, a DYD, it's just, I mean, it's a name for a district youth director. He came up to me, he goes, I've never walked in a, at the end of a service mm. and felt that much peace in a mm. whole room. Like the Holy Spirit is meeting these kids in America, mm. how they need to be met. Yep. And it's, it's just powerful. It's really beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. um, whereas when we grew up, we may have heard a lot of screaming or dancing and a lot of shouting or, or maybe a lot of like, a lot of hype and different things going like that. In this generation, it's like mm. real, it's raw, yeah. it's authentic, it's powerful, it's uh, peaceful. It's uh, it's really beautiful to see. Yeah. Mm. You got me thinking about, I uh, heard a uh, psychologist talk about how what every kid needs is confinement and mm. attunement. Mm. Like, here's the boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yep. And by the way, I see you and I love you and I care about you. And I mean, even Jesus, like, 
hearing from his father, this is my son whom I love with mm-hmm. whom I'm well pleased and my yeah. practice with my son, <laughs> like almost every night is, and it's mm-hmm. amazing actually to watch his reaction mm-hmm. at yes. seven years old. He's like, Avery, you know, you're my boy, right? Yeah, dad, you know, and, <laughs> and I love you yeah. and I'm, I'm pleased with who you are. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, and just the impact that that has, Huge. but mm-hmm. just realizing a whole generation who hasn't had maybe attunement, dad, like I, not to knock on mom and dad's, but we notice a difference in our house when, like we put our phones down, yep. you know, mm-hmm. and realizing like, oh, kids are acting out at times because our faces are buried in a screen, yep. mm-hmm. you know, and we're mm-hmm. not attuned to what's mm-hmm. going on or not asking about what they're dealing with. or, And even with a seven-year-old, how you have to pry a little bit to figure out, oh, what, who mm-hmm. said what to you at school mm-hmm. that changed how you're behaving tonight? Like, mm-hmm. and getting attuned and it's work, yep. you know, yeah. but then also that confinement, that willing, mm-hmm. willingness to like embrace the difficult conversations and say, mm-hmm. no, here's what we believe is right. Here's what we believe is true. Mm-hmm. Um, or here's the rules for you. And mm-hmm. I, I know you're going to kick at them mm-hmm. because that's what your kid, you know, mm-hmm. but, but you're over the long game going to find relief by having had confinement, mm-hmm. you know, being, so I love that you're talking about doing that for a whole generation of kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had two or three people live in our house with us because mm-hmm. they came from broken families mm-hmm. and we thought we can expedite their healing by allowing mm-hmm. them to watch our lives beautiful up close, Beautiful. you know, and what yeah. about, what about a church like that? Right. That mm-hmm. says, hey, there's some young right. adults or, you know, somebody, and I'm just going to, we've have just to totally, yeah. yeah, we've yeah. gone after foster families. Like, mm-hmm. let's be the fostering church yep. in our community yep. to model that for people, yep. you know? So yep. I think beautiful. it's beautiful. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of what you're experiencing too, where the altar calls just feel different mm-hmm. or, they're, or even how people respond to messages where they're just thinking and letting it like wash over them mm-hmm. and trying not to fight against that and get a different response. Mm-hmm. Um so I just think that's really encouraging yeah. and really exciting. And, yeah. and I think we'll see the benefits of that, yep. you know? Yep. So um, anything else for like mom and dad, you know, talking about the relationship with the next generation, um, just practical things that, that you're seeing that would help them with their, mm-hmm. maybe it deals with their cell phone or social media or I, just things they can do practically. I'll just share from students that I get to help disciple and raise up. Uh, where very rarely do I hear this, but I hear it from these kids. They say, man, I'm, I'm so thankful for my mom and dad. I'm like, are you a normal kid? <laughs> <laughs> these are 17-year-old boys, 18, 17-year-old boys, yeah, high school boys. Yeah. Man, I just, I just love my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I just love them so much. I'm just so thankful for my family. I'm like, are you, are you mm-hmm. a normal kid? Like, who are you right now? Mm-hmm. And hearing those two high school boys say that, mm-hmm. it's like, I want my two kids to say, man, I just love my mom and dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I asked these two boys, I said, what do they do? What do they do? What, why, why are you saying this about them? And one of their first responses is how safe they feel. I think, um, I think we all screw up. We all sin. But who do you run to that you feel safe with to actually mm-hmm. tell what's going on? Mm-hmm. I think being able to practice safety in our homes yeah. that when our kid does blow it, our first response isn't screaming at them, yeah. but we let them know this is a safe place to talk about this. And um, just creating that environment. Uh, the other thing I would say is um, not being afraid to just have some of those real honest conversations of saying, Hey, talk to me about this. Or what do you think about this? Um, these both these high school boys they go to their parents and one one high school boy said something that really like challenged me is when my dad told me he goes 
hey, buddy, even if you never follow Jesus, I'm going to love you so much. And uh, that, mm-hmm. like, set this kid free. Uh, his parents mm-hmm. go to church every Sunday, but well, he said when he heard his dad say that, it wasn't based on church attendance. It wasn't based on any of those other things. It was a love of a parent just for his kid, you know? Yeah. I think that attunement, like you talked about, of just telling your child how much you love them, how proud you are of them, uh, is key. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, is there anything that comes to mind for you? On your no, anything? I just keep thinking, um, you know, being at camp, I got to join Micah for two weeks of camp this summer. And being at camp, one of the camps was a highly, highly churched um, group of kids. They grew up in like families, you know, they've attended church their whole life. And there was this sense of, I think, more security that I saw modeled in them. And so I just think, I keep coming back to God help us to be willing to be uncomfortable enough to let someone that needs to have, as some people say, a spiritual father or mother, like Mm -hmm. let me be them to that. Or be that to them. That yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I guess that's what I just keep coming back to. And I've been, um, you know, challenged like, how do I practically live that out? Having children mm-hmm. of my own, how do I also model being someone that would take someone in? What kind of commitment does that look like? And just mm-hmm. really wrestling with the Lord with that and saying, here I am. Like as you talked about. So I think that's what I keep coming back to is that we just need people that love Jesus mm-hmm. that are willing to step in for someone that needs mm-hmm. that. A friend of mine, Brooke, she's just. I, I, I learned from her because she just models this so well. She's just um, built some bridges with some churches that are um, in a very different culture setting than she's in. And she's been able to be like a camp counselor consecutively years um, at Lake Geneva. I said that wrong. It's fine. You know what I'm saying? And um, just the relationship that's been built and that she's been able to pray with them in ways and they've been able to just have those conversations that otherwise wouldn't have, she, yeah. she wouldn't have had lest she just invested in that relationship mm-hmm. and just kept being someone that just showed up and just kept loving people. So right. I just think love is the foundation of everything, right? Mm-hmm. God help us to love people well, whether our, our kids or the kids mm-hmm. of others that need and, parents too. Yeah, and it's not always inviting them maybe into your home. Like I talked about, but the Apostle Paul said, we loved you so, so much that we shared not only the, the gospel with you, but our very mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and just like taking time for people and, yeah. and for students and yeah. yeah. I would say one last key thing is when we have blown it as parents, we have come back to our kids and we've apologized Ah, to them. That's so good, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what that is doing is that's reinforcing safety. And it's because they probably sense something was off with us too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it affirms that discernment in them, but Mm -hmm. also it creates an example for them to do the same someday. Mm -hmm. And they're four and they're six and not doing that right now necessarily. Mm -hmm. But that once again, just reinforces, we want health in our home. Mm -hmm. So when we're wrong, because we're going to get it wrong, when we've blown it, we will come to you and we'll make sure to say sorry and amend that. Yeah. Um, So Yeah. And just acknowledge like we get it wrong too, but we're also trying to do our best to follow Jesus and Jesus helps us love other people. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's part of like the challenge to grow is I don't want to go back to my kid and apologize for the next 10 years for the same behavior. Exactly. Like, I want to grow too. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 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 I, uh, I, the last thing I'll say on this is this, is this just stood out to me and it was a new revelation. Um, there was a buddy of mine, he's really crazy, he's outgoing and he's around a group of friends and they all looked at him and they said, you must have been the druggy kid. You must have been the kid that was all into drugs. He goes, actually, no. Didn't do one drug in my life. Well, you must have been the drinker. You must have drank about, no, I didn't drink once in my life. And they go, well, what, how, what do you mean? Why are you like this then? And he goes, he goes, I saw my dad at home live out his faith. 
Mm. And it was so real to him that I never wanted to, I didn't want to mess around with sin because I didn't want to hurt my dad. Mm. And I got this new perspective. When I think of the fear of God, mm-hmm. I don't view it as like, he's going to judge me. He's going to smite me. I view it as I don't want to hurt my father. Mm. Like you see the, like he just saw the example his dad set that he didn't want to have to pain his own father mm. to tell him what he did or went wrong. And I just think, I just look at that and I'm like, that's it. That's it. It's the best of our ability following Christ. His grace is sufficient in our weakness. But mm-hmm. isn't that true for our relationship with Jesus? I just, I don't want to do anything that offend him. That's why scripture says, search me, oh God. See yeah. if there's any sin, any offensive mm-hmm. way in me. It's mm-hmm. like that heart of God, God, fight. Show me. I don't. I don't want to hurt. You know. And so, yeah. Thought that was that stood out to me, in terms of just the family dynamic, but also our relationship with Jesus. Well, that side has to be love, right? It can't just be mm-hmm. uh, behavior modification no. to be a good Christian. You know, it has to come <laughs> uh, from that heart of like, yeah. I love my father, and I don't want to hurt mm-hmm. him. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to honor him yeah. in what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Last question, and uh, it's a good one, I think, but. Uh, what do you think the primary question that the next generation is asking right now is? Do they love me? I was going to say the same thing. Does anybody love me? Does anybody love me? Um, every Tuesday night at camp, I do a freedom and deliverance, deliverance type night. And everything I do at camps are very intentional. Because mm-hmm. what I do in the altars, I want it to be a normal practice when they go home in their youth groups. So what I do is I have kids write down on a sheet of paper every piece of garbage in their life. It's a message on forgiveness that I do for them. And then they go to an adult leader and they hand it to the leader and the leader reads every piece of stuff on the list. And every camp, everywhere I go, leaders start crying and they go, I didn't know this, I didn't know this, I didn't know this. One of the common things in there on these kids' sheets is they don't feel like they can forgive themselves. They don't feel like they're worthy of love and they can forgive themselves. Mm -hmm. And you would think like anxiety would be the number one or like these other issues. And it's just things that they feel like. Mm -hmm. And what does that come down to? It's asking the question, am I loved? Yeah. Because when you know the love of grace and how high, how deep and how wide it is, Mm -hmm. that question gets answered. And Mm -hmm. that that, that sense that you carry that you can't be forgiven or them wrestling with that, it's like, no, I am forgiven. I yeah. know who I am, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, I just think of, like, the real kind of love, not mm-hmm. like the, like, you know, let's hook up and maybe see yeah. around, mm-hmm. but, like, the love that will withstand and persevere and endure and be patient and be kind and deny self on behalf of loving you, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, which is Jesus, right? So we all try to do our best to love kids well, but that was exactly the mm-hmm. question. One of the most powerful mind. core memory for me was my college pastor. I sat down on his couch and he put his arm around me and he said, I want you to know there's nothing you can ever tell me or do that'll make you love me, make me love you any less than I do right now. Mm-hmm. And, but I knew he meant it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Cause it's matched with action. Yeah. It's not just empty mm-hmm. words. It's right. actions. Right. It's mm-hmm. his presence in your life. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for what you've committed your lives to. Mm. And I mean, we have a, we have an, a, a bit of an evangelist on staff here in Pastor Kyle, mm-hmm. you know, and when yep. he came on our team, I just yep. said, I want you to be able to go still mm-hmm. and so not good. just be here because 
vo- there needs to be a voice of the evangelist, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, so thank mm-hmm. you for coming and pastoring, yeah. but I also still want you to go and, and be yeah. that, you know, yeah. and raise up yeah. new ones yeah. because yeah. I think it is so important, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. thanks for committing your lives to it and mm-hmm. um, committing to raising up more, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, our church has been impacted by Nick Hall, you know, mm-hmm. I know you guys yeah, yep, probably yep. know Nick and, yep. and what you guys are doing. And so mm. uh, I love seeing that coming back into life in the church. Come on. Come on. It's really, it's really cool. Yeah. So, thanks for having us. And thanks, thanks for, for being kingdom minded, open handed yeah. to make room for the evangelist. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So, And thanks everybody who joined us for this episode. <laughs> and uh, you can look these guys up on Instagram, follow what they're doing. There's really an amazing impact being made all across the nation and um, it's worth following. It's worth watching. So come on, give the Instagram handles real quick. Uh, at Pastor Micah Mack. And I'm Stephanie Joy Mack, but I'm 16, but I'm hardly on my socials, but it's because <laughs> I have two kids to raise. But if, anyway, that. Micah will share it for yeah, me. Yeah, so yeah, it'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. It's so funny. I shared on my social media about you guys coming and I said the Max, and yeah, yeah. I like kind of forgot your last name. Was yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I no, knew it, but yeah. I was yeah. like we, in the moment. We go by the Max. All our friends call us the Max. Oh, okay. the Max. Yeah. Yeah. oh that's yeah. why. Because we're yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah exactly. <laughs> cool. Thanks everybody for joining us. If you uh, think this episode will help somebody else or maybe a student who wants to listen to it, then feel free to share it with them, subscribe, and we'll see you next time.